0: Welcome, friends and listeners, to the next episode of Aftermath. Be sure to follow us on social media for updates, decrees from the Shadow Council, and important dates in Aftermath history. You can find us on Twitter at Group GroupFirePit, on Instagram at FirePitCreativeGroupOfficial, on Facebook at Facebook.com slash FirePitCreativeGroup, and on YouTube at FirePitCreativeGroup. You can also email us at Group at gmail.com. Without further ado... Here's the next episode. Enjoy. Fire Pit Creative Group presents Aftermath, Episode 20 Intervention. Devenu, Cuddy, and Bath were used to the low hum and whir of the power supplies and other machines in the laboratory. However, the spinning buzz of motors and the clanging of metal the group heard on the other side of the vault door was concerning. What the hell is she doing? Devenu asked rhetorically. Bath stepped forward. He examined the digital screen and analog keyboard. The multifunction keypad used more than traditional symbols numbers, and letters. Some of the symbols were color-coded. On other keys, digits and icons had worn off over time. Step aside, Bath told Devenu. His eyes scanned the buttons, the lit screen. How many mandatory digits? Eight, Devenu said. A combination of letters, integers, and special keys. There's no way you can guess the code. Bath stood poised at the console, fingers hovering over the controls. Eyes wide, fixed on the screen. Variables aren't impossible, he mumbled. Cuddy moved towards Danielle. How many attempts before lockout? The project administrator began to say something when Dr. Ganaya pointed out the obvious. We are locked out. John's fingers moved swiftly, but didn't touch the buttons. After a few moments, he tapped the keyboard cautiously. A red and gold grid flashed on the screen. Hmm. Bath grinned, eyes wet and glassy. She changed the security protocols. Devenu turned to Cuddy and Gania. Why would Donna do this? Like a master pianist becoming one with their instrument, Bath punched in the combination elegantly. His eyes were alight, in a way Cuddy had only seen when they explored in their simulacrum bodies. The interior bolts slid back behind metal and fiberglass walls. Meryl reached for Devenu. The younger woman ignored her, practically vaulting between the doors. I told you, the chief surgeon explained, raising her voice as they entered the laboratory. Donna's experience in the green stream has changed her. It's changed all of them. She glanced back at Bath and Cuddy, who followed behind them. She was connected to the mainframe, Bath muttered to Cuddy. The dangers had been mentioned before. Cuddy considered the possibility external forces, hackers on the surface, intervened in the transference of their consciousness into the simulacrum. The Major's gaze followed trails of coated copper wire, fiber optic cable, and bonded, flexible conduits across the floor. Power generators and portable, fuel-guzzling power supplies whistled and droned. What the hell? Cuddy looked up into the mass of welded metal, where Donna Chang, the Phoenix Project's chief engineer, was perched over one of the porcelainization chambers. Wads of wound cable and circuit boards, still hot with solder, hung from her tool belt and cargo shorts. A drill chattered in Chang's hand. Sparks flew around the transference modules. "'Donna!' Danielle called out. "'Stop!' Nearby, Ganaya examined General Castro's chamber, studying the biometric details and data that was collected, processed automatically. She saw the general had been in the coffin more than 16 hours, twice the recommended length of time. "'She's done it,' Meryl spoke quietly, as if to herself. Then, a little louder, turning to the others. "'She's reconfigured, de-obligated the power output.' multiplied the pitch and capture by more than 400% Cuddy said nothing his glare implored the physician to clarify she amplified the power output without any signal degradation or impact to the general in the chamber or to his simulacrum in fact, Ganaya said pointing at one of the backlit screens this can't be right Cuddy leaned in what can't be right he observed the data but it meant little to him the simulacrum appears to have been damaged, Mural pointed at a paper printout on the floor. The diagnostics showed the progress of Castro's simulacrum. The active nanites repaired the simulacrum and… Oh my… What, what's wrong? Cuddy was irritated. He watched Meryl's expression change, her olive skin turning a shade paler. The nanites are also working at 400% capability, sending back information through the green stream across the neurological conduits and stimulating his central nervous system. Stimulating it how? Cuddy looked up at Chang dangling above them. The engineer had shucked her traditional lab coat in favor of a dark tank top and cargo shorts. She wore industrial goggles and earplugs. Despite Devenu's efforts to get the engineer's attention, Chang seemed perfectly oblivious to their presence. Ganaya continued. While Castro... is in the coffin, his spine and nervous system shows no sign of neurological damage. Cutting moved his head side to side, felt a slight release of tension. That's great, but if he's in the coffin, how does that help us out here? Behind them, John Bath moved distracted, then compelled by the dozens of hardcover, red notebooks strewn across the industrial conference table. He picked up one of the books, saw pictographs and ideographs. Instantly, the linguistics professor understood some of the syllables, the ideas. But the writer's blend of Eastern aphorisms, mathematics, and electrical engineering concepts confused him. Bat put down one red notebook and picked up another. Here, the traditionally vertical logosyllabic pictographs were written horizontally, some left to right, others right to left, suggesting the presence of ideas in code, instructions requiring a cipher to better understand them still holding the books, Bath watched Mural, Cuddy, and Danielle. Then he peered up at Chang, spied a trace of perspiration from the engineer's ear to her shoulder. Chang's whirling metal drill slowed. For a moment, it was quiet in the lab, except for the ambient symphony of machines. "'What the hell do you think you're doing?' Devenu shouted at Chang. The engineer removed her work goggles. She gazed down from her perch, her expression incredulous, as if the scene of scattered machines and hardware needed no explanation, or her partners deserved none. Castro followed Esther through the grass and dirt alleys of the tent city erected above the old Greenway Terrace near Brooklyn Bridge Park. "'There are two men who recently joined us, who I think may be able to help you find safe passage to the other side,' the old woman told Castro." they came to the back of an old four-wheel-drive military utility vehicle. In his lifetime, long before the fall of the Western world, the General saw such multi-purpose vehicles shift from use on the battlefield to inner cities for urban emergency and law enforcement operations. Eventually, they were sold by military contractors on the free market, becoming the ultimate consumer status symbol. Gentlemen, Esther spoke into the enclave that looked more like a defensible military outpost, the kind Castro routinely inspected during the Iran-Israeli war. There was movement in the back of the vehicle. A man stirred inside, his head and torso concealed behind the rear window and gate. The passenger's door opened. A broad-shouldered man in gray American military fatigues exited the vehicle. Castro glanced the man over. He was taller than the general, and probably in his late thirties. His square jaw, angular nose, and bronzed skin suggested he might be Native American. Ma'am, the younger man nodded at Esther and Benjamin. John Running Bear, the old woman introduced them. This is General Benjamin Castro. Benjamin winced, wondering to what extent his legend outlived him, afraid it might be a hindrance. You look familiar, Running Bear nodded. Yeah, I get that. Castro scanned the man's uniform for insignia and rank. He saw the Glock's sidearm, presumed the healed soldier had other weapons. Ex-military? Castro asked. Running Bear stood straight, hands on hips. Far as I know, he paused, his smile resolute. Still am in the military, until someone tells me otherwise. Castro looked at Esther, then back at Running Bear. You think the government is still out there somewhere? Running Bear's eyes narrowed, scanning the skyline beyond the vehicle's canopy. Sure do. Castro looked around the soldier's side. He nodded at the back gate of the utility vehicle. Who's in there? That's a sensei, said Running Bear, with a nod. Sensei? Yeah, the teacher. Binyamin leaned slightly to get a better look at the shape of the man in the back of the vehicle. He couldn't help but think about Cuddy and Bath, and wonder what it was that consistently put soldiers and teachers in his path. Running Bear nodded. But he's sleeping. You don't want to bother him right now. Castro knew better than to blindly trust the uniform, wondering about the man's character, and why these men were in the tent city. Esther interjected. Binyami needs help crossing into Manhattan. I thought you and EQ might be able to help him. We're headed that way, Running Bear stated, matter-of-factly. He looked at Esther and raised his square chin towards the bridge in the distance. Does he know what we're up against? Esther turned to the general. He has an idea. We've explained that Silvio Jones's mobsters control the bridges and waterways from Brooklyn in the north down to Staten Island in the west. I hear crossing the bridge is a dangerous proposition, Castro said. That's what I hear, too, Running Bear nodded. Like I said, we're going that way. You're welcome to ride shotgun. Castro took another look at the vehicle, recognized the up-armored kits, bolts, and hinges that put a strain on the vehicle, making it heavier but able to withstand gunfire. He wondered what weapons and firepower were stored inside. What branch are you from? The general asked. As a younger man started to respond, Castro felt disoriented. He watched Running Bear's lips move slowly as his own mind went blank. He heard a piercing static, and then, nothing. Without warning, General Castro's head pitched back. His simulacrum spasmed, and he collapsed forward, face down into the dirt near the tactical vehicle's rear tire. Donna Chang sat at the conference table, watching Devenu instruct Ganiya. Extracting, the physician spoke calmly, but operated the controls with a sense of urgency. John Bath sat across from Chang, a rough-hewn red notebook in each hand. A hard ridge formed between the professor's angular, deep orange eyebrows. "'He won't be able to read it,' Donna said, without looking at the professor. "'It's obviously written in code,' Bath retorted grimly. If you can read it, I can read it. You can try. Chang crossed her arms in front of her. Cuddy stood a few feet away from the table. He turned to Chang. You have a lot to answer for, Donna. He spoke the aloof engineer's name as if they had been friends for some time. But they weren't friends, were they? Cuddy thought. They worked together, or were colleagues at best. The major pointed at the hardware and conduits fixed to the porcelainization coffins and biometric controls. What is all of this? Donna looked up, weighing whether any of them would understand. She was about to speak when General Castro's transference module vibrated, its lid lifting away. Benjamin, Ganaya moved in with a stethoscope in hand. Are you all right? General Castro braced himself on the edge of the chamber. Green, glowing gel dripped from his chin and torso. Fine. Castro ignored lethargy, peered into Meryl's black pool irises. He took a breath, remembering, reminding himself that though they had not spoken of it, the grown woman was his child. It made sense. Her concern comforted him, gave him strength, purpose. As Meryl positioned the scope's diaphragm to listen to his heart and lungs, the General looked directly at Major McGillicuddy. Then Devenu. We need to talk. Take me to your so called Shadow Council. I have a report to give. Devenu felt the instinct to resist, to pacify the General, or make up some pretense for why she alone was responsible for their mission and she alone should report to the Council. But she realized anything she said would sound like an excuse rather than an explanation, the desperate need for control and authority. Danielle nodded thoughtfully. She glanced at Meryl, whose expression reassured the group of General Castro's condition. Very well. Danielle spoke so they could all hear. Clean him up. When he's ready, we'll go see the council. Castro nodded, a faint grin passing across gray lips. Devenu turned on her heel. She walked purposefully to the conference table. Chang, you're with me. Now. The others watched as the chief engineer, twice the project administrator's age, exhaled indignantly and rose from her chair. She followed the younger woman to the laboratory door, then turned back to John Bath. It was a code my father left for me. I only came to understand its significance in the past few days after my encounter in the green stream. Good luck decoding it. She grinned at Bath and the others as she left the lab. Clean-shaven and wearing a starched and pressed shirt, the general hobbled up the lift next to Devenu. Could she see the Kevlar corset Gania salvaged to aid him in standing upright with the assist of titanium braces? You clean up well, Danielle looked up at the general. Hmm. The light overhead beamed. Devenu glanced up. Castro did not. When the doors opened... The project administrator paused awkwardly, unsure if Castro required help. Benjamin motioned for Danielle to enter the lift. He followed her inside. A moment passed between them in silence. Then, Castro, staring straight ahead, spoke. What will happen to Chang? Danielle inhaled and exhaled deeply. Less than an hour earlier, she finished dressing down Donna Chang, it was an experience made more awkward by her own feelings and the lack of emotion or concern shown by the engineer. Her security access will face greater scrutiny, and she will be required to pass a psychiatric examination. Castro pressed his lips into a tight grin. Why do you ask? Devenu's true blonde eyebrows came together over dazzling blue eyes. Psychiatrist. Castro's voice was deep but penitent, He thought of his simulacrum escaping the mutant battle on Nut Island, his encounter with the scavengers and survivors in Brooklyn. What was Esther thinking, tending to his machine body? It wasn't all Chang's fault. I manipulated her. She shouldn't be punished for something I asked, something I told her to do. Clearly, I've lost control over you. There was frustration in Danielle's voice. But that doesn't explain or excuse Donna's behavior. Castro turned, looking down at the young woman, a serious, strong expression on his aged face. That's what this is all about, isn't it? Control. Devenu was about to respond, to hold her ground. But before she could speak, the lift doors opened, depositing them in the sterile chamber where she routinely met the Phoenix Council. Castro was taken aback by the length of the white-walled room, the lines etched in the floor and its curved walls. He forced his feet to drag, one before the other, his torso and arms guiding him, assuming his weight with the aid of the braces. Danielle walked at Castro's side, giving him space. She wondered if the older man could sense her concern, her fear about what he was going to say to her masters. Maybe, she thought, he would say those things she wished she was brave or angry enough to ask. As the room's LED lights dimmed and lavender illuminated the center of the room, Danielle Devenu couldn't help but think about her father, Jaquise. Too often he comforted her with those words Just because people think I'm crazy doesn't mean I am. Just because I may be crazy doesn't make me wrong. Benjamin glanced at Danielle as the holograms in the center of the room took shape. Featureless faces hovered, indistinct bodies coalesced, their arms folded. The outline of hair became translucent. Agent Devenu, you called this meeting without agenda. Castro interrupted sternly. I called this meeting. General Castro, has your physical condition improved? Not much. Nor has my attitude, but thanks for asking. He felt Danielle watching him, but ignored her for now. It occurred to me that I've been doing your bidding... Leading this adventure to the surface, and we haven't formally met. I'd like to know who I'm working for, and why. We were under the impression Project Administrator Devenue had briefed. Castro waved a hand. Yes, yes, yes. He spoke over the council, watching as the expressionless faces peered at Devenue, their subordinate. I've been at this goddamn mission weeks now, holed up in your basement laboratory, in and out of that thing you call a coffin. And with the exception of the verbal or written notes we've given to Danielle, or the project administrator, there doesn't seem to be the sense of immediacy or urgency from leadership a project of this magnitude deserves. Are you finished? Not hardly. Castro straightened himself as best he could. But if you've got something to add... As you know, you were revived from cryostasis, too. I'm told that was an accident, Castro interrupted. There was a long pause as the faceless council members seemed to look at each other. Castro turned his head sideways, trying to discern which members of the group were men, which were women. Did it matter? Yes. Well, the Central Processor selected the members of this team to perform reconnaissance of the surface and determine if the planet was habitable. Castro turned to Devenu, saw her eyebrows shoot up inquisitively. I have no problem with the team, Castro explained. In fact, despite deep-seated differences fostered by this bizarre, restrictive environment, they have comported themselves honorably. You may disapprove of our methods, General Castro, but... The surface is habitable, Castro interjected, his words hanging, demanding a response. Yes, but... (laughs) Oh, I understand. He took an uncomfortable step towards the swirling purple hologram. "'I'm a fossil, an antiquity, a tool to be used and disposed of. "'I know my place.' "'General,' Devenu placed her hands on Benjamin's arm and shoulder. "'Her touch was supportive. "'Please.' "'No. "'We've been at this and made minimal progress, but attained maximum information. "'And yet,' Castro halted a moment. "'He was strained, tired.' He compelled his eyes to gaze at each member, searching. We filed our reports, our logs, and nobody besides Devenu is asking the right questions, he motioned to the project administrator. A couple of members of the council seemed to gaze at each other. One paced, its form discernibly masculine. What is it you expect, General? A lone voice, a female, asked. What do you want? Asked another, more pointedly. Castro leaned on the braces. He damned the forces that made him an angry, disabled man, unable to express his anger in the absurd environment he expected as a politician and despised as a soldier. "'In a short amount of time, we've discovered the service is habitable. There are people there, in New Jersey, New York, both survivors and those born after the—after the—' His voice wavered unintentionally. He looked at Devenu for support. He thought of Meryl, remembered her mother, the sacrifices so many made and the lives lost, destroyed because diplomacy failed. Danielle stepped forward. As I have delineated in my own reports, the surface is populated by mutated and deformed humans. We don't yet know the cause of the mutations, or... Castro stumbled, then caught himself. Whether it's radiation or or something else, we know these people need help. "'Tribalism and factionalism is at work in the five boroughs. "'The government—' "'The U.S. government is in exile. "'We need to expand the expedition. "'We need more people. "'Scientists who can test the water. "'Security who can support the scavengers and survivors. "'We need food and—' Castro's voice trailed off as he watched the council "'seem to stiffen into one entity. "'The holograms at the front stood shoulder to shoulder. "'Those in the back seemed to recede, uninterested, or unmoved.' What are you recommending? We need to get out of this place, Castro insisted. We need to go there and help the survivors form some system of government, at least until... No. Castro was taken aback. No. Danielle leaned in. Council members, respectfully, General Castro has experience in these matters. Agent Debener? A masculine council member's voice rang out in the low-ceilinged chamber. Stay your place. The council spoke firmly now, and as one. Your report and concerns are heard and understood, General Castro. However, the concerns of this council are less with those on the surface. Our charge is protection and sustainability of the lives and human and other resources of the 3,000 persons living in this project. Unless the central processor conducts us otherwise, we are, at least for now, not at liberty to indulge in drastic measures that would put others, young and old, in harm's way. Castro was mentally and physically taken aback by the Council's abject dismissiveness, their inability to understand his plea to make decisions that would rend them from the ennui of their contained, secretly controlled underworld. He said, instantly regretting losing his temper, a trait he was not known for as a diplomat or leader of men, At least put this information to your blessed computer. Give my report to the central processor, and ask for instruction. Silence fell over the room. Castro stabilized himself. He watched Devenu out of the corner of his eye, saw she was displeased. Finally, the council spoke in unison. Very well. It will be done. We will consult the central processor. Surprised, Castro was unsure if he accomplished anything. Was it possible to anger or annoy a remote collective entity? Were they ambivalent, oblivious to the information he shared? or were there concerns elsewhere? The holograms at the center of the room dissipated, LED lights ignited. Devenu was used to the sudden change in atmosphere. She saw the general blinking, his eyes adjusting. Castro pivoted on the metal braces around his arms. he shifted, dragged his feet, but purposefully. Well, that was a complete waste of time. Danielle assisted the general into the lift. Not necessarily. No? Castro looked down at the young woman. Danielle shook her head slightly. You gotta rise out of them, Danielle told the general. We'll see what the central processor says. Then we'll make our move. Benjamin watched a satisfied smile form slowly on Danielle's pink lips. He had gone to the council seeking to inform them, maybe force their hand, but what he came away with was an ally. Aftermath, a Firepit Creative Group production, based on a story created by Rhett Davis, with characters created by Warren Davis, Willem DeGrieff, and Cole Hoopengarner. Written by Warren Davis and Willem DeGrieff with Cole Hoopengarner. Narrated and produced by Cole Hoopengarner with Warren Davis. Music composed by Warren Davis. And video production by Willem Grief. Links for the sound effects used in Aftermath can be found in each episode's description. Aftermath and its story, characters, and music are copyright 2020 by Firepit Creative Group.